0: Warning: The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Muniz, and this is the Binwake Podcast for better sense making. If you are within the sound of my voice and you haven't visited beenawake.com and subscribe with your email address, then you don't understand what it is we're doing here. Better sense making is, is the basic idea. Take three major headlines. Sometimes it's not going to be a headline. Sometimes it's going to be something I want to talk about. But three headlines, three important topics. We analyze things from a, um, from a skeptical position, practicing skeptic. Right. That's what I have on my profile. Supplying it to your everyday life and figuring out the best way to sift through the mass of information that sits in front of you. That's basically what we try to do here on the show. Um, If you guys are listening to the podcast, don't forget you can catch this on YouTube. You can also catch this on uh, Rumble um, and probably Odyssey at some point in the near future once I figure out how that works. But um, so you can catch that. And of course, I always go live. I'm probably. You know, the only person who's just going to go live automatically and not really tell anybody beforehand. Cause I find if I pre plan too much, I then don't do the show. Cause I get, you know, busy in, in the pre planning. And in fact, I almost got, I almost, I almost got caught up, uh, writing an entirely new article, um, before this, but we're still going to write that because it's an important and interesting idea about, um, well, at least a hypothesis I have for why in particular big tech became so susceptible to what we would call like, you know, today a woke agenda. Right. And like, even that word woke ha- has to be parsed out and like, and explored fully. And that's kind of what I, that's what you always realize, or at least if you're, if you're an honest content creator, I'd like to think, um, if you're an honest content creator, you realize that, uh, when you start to pick up a topic is, is when, <laughs> when it maybe is getting too complicated for something that you want to do quickly. um, So anyway, so that, so instead episode 75, probably one of my best titles ever, uh, we're going to go back and forth with this presentation thing. So, you know, video component, trying to make it, trying to improve that production value for you guys. So this is episode 75, baby shortages and straw men, probably one of my best my best episode titles yet. So we're going to talk of course about the baby formula shortages, right? And we're also going to talk about the mass shooting in Buffalo, less about the actual facts of the case. But of course, we'll get into that. So, you know, you have a complete picture. But in particular, I um I want to get into the media reaction and its significance as well as we're also going to talk a little bit there about kind of the the content creator I don't like and the or, or the content creation style I don't like um, <clears throat> because it's uh, at, at worst, it's or at its best, it's it's just simplistic. It's overly simplistic. And at its worst, it's the same kind of mind rottening, uh, it's the same kind of mind rottening garbage, if you will, that uh well, that just about everybody else does. And this is why I do the show is to give you a different and dare I say better product than what the average person, average content creator can produce. And I do it all in my spare time. If you want to make that a different, if you want to make that different, by the way, if you want to make this my full-time endeavor, all you have to do is go to binawake.com slash subscribe, but more importantly, share the show with your friends. Let them know binawake.com is an interesting show, an interesting place to find original writing and uh, all sorts of other cool stuff that we that we do. And I thank you for it. So enough, enough uh, plugging myself. Let's talk. Let's get to the meat. So the first story tonight, right, that we're going to talk about are these ba- uh, baby shortages. So if I was going, so to to highlight the story in the news, here's the news. Here's the headline. Here's the basic pieces of the information that you need to understand what's going on. Shortages in baby formula have caused young families across the country to worry and political activists to question the priorities of the Biden administration. See, it's not that difficult to write like a you know semi neutral headline. That's what makes that's what makes analyzing the headlines of the major press outlets to me especially so interesting. So this story, so here's why I wanted to cover the story, and I was because uh, a I wanted to see what was at the bottom of it, like what was actually going on, because it's because yes, yes, um, supply chain disruptions are a thing. Yes, it's really difficult to get stuff right now, but at the same time it's just more difficult than it was before. And relatively speaking, before 2020, it was probably, it's never been easier to ship goods uh, across the world for any reason whatsoever. So yes, supply chains are a thing. And yes, you have seen shortages in different areas and different markets at different points in time. But why baby formula in particular? Now I, I don't have children, so baby formula isn't something that I have to buy on a regular basis. And of course, you know, as the ignoramus might even think for a second, well, isn't it, why do we need baby formula if women can produce breast milk, right? And isn't that kind of like a natural thing that that's supposed to happen? Well, my understanding and, you know, from doing a little bit of research, but also, you know, knowing people in my life who are who are at the stage of having kids is sometimes it's not as easy as others to, it's not, it's actually not that easy, um, all things considered. And I was even reading recently that, in the past, right, if, you, if a woman couldn't produce enough breast milk, which can happen for a variety of uh, environmental and, I think, and sometimes genetic reasons, if a woman can't produce enough breast milk, a child would die, would die in infancy. And, of course, we know before, before the Industrial Revolution, infant mortality, and for most, of, for most of existence, infant mortality is a really, really big thing. Many species on the earth plan for the fact that most of their, uh, most of their offspring won't survive, right? so we so we understand that infant mortality is something common and so while it while yes you know in general to answer the ignoramus while the while while it is the case that most women can produce enough breast milk not every single woman can moreover sometimes especially with the way medicine is today children can be birthed who wouldn't have survived in the past and so have to require special uh, have a special formulation, special formula to make sure that they're getting the proper vitamins and minerals. That doesn't mean that breast milk isn't, generally speaking, my understanding, the best thing for children. It just means that there are exceptions, and we should expect those exceptions in the complicated world that we live in. So shortages in baby formula have caused young families across the country to worry and political activists to, questions the priority, to question the priority of the Biden administration. We're going to get into some analysis as we move on. But at least in the beginning here, I thought it would be useful to start by answering some basic economic questions, in particular because this is dealing with markets, right? So there's two, there, there's, there's two words in economics we use because this ultimately traces down to things we can look, through, look at through an economic lens. There are two economic terms that you'll see used in this story or in stories in general about economic goods, which is to say goods. What is scare- the difference, and that is the difference between scarcity and shortage. So I have up on the screen, what is scarcity? What is a shortage? Because they're different things. Now, <clears throat> scarcity is as an economic concept, and I just pulled this from Wikipedia. It's not a particularly, it's not a particularly, uh, difficult definition to find scarcity as an economic concept refers to the basic fact of life that there exists only a finite amount of human and non-human resources which the best technological with with the bet which the best tech technical knowledge is capable of using to produce only a limited maximum amounts of each economic good so while i butchered that let me restate it that there is only a finite there like that reality is finite there's only a certain amount of any particular good in the world but our wants as a human as an individual human or as a human society our wants we might say are infinite and so this contrast of infinite wants and finite goods to to, to achieve those wants we can understand is the basic formulation of scarcity is the ba- is the basic concept of scarcity in economic terms so all goods therefore are scarce with few exception and even in those exceptions you can envision situations where those goods become scarce oxygen is a very good example of this and we have an example of water coming up too but so but so but in general goods economic goods in particular are considered scarce by their nature there is always a limited number of goods and everybody wants them a shortage Meanwhile, in, an economic, in economic terms, is a condition where the quantity demanded is greater than the quantity supplied at the market price. So a shortage only occurs where, where there is an established want, right? Where there is an established demand, a shortage can only occur when that supply doesn't meet that demand. So the question then becomes, how is it that we have shortages? So scarcity is a constant economic factor, right anybody there are some uh school there are some arcane schools of thought that will argue from a post-scarcity mindset that's all well and good we don't live in a post-scarcity world despite our high level of technological innovation okay so scarcity always exists but shortages are 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 a signal that something's going wrong and that something's going wrong because there's far more demand for a product than there is supply and moreover the price uh, and and you know and there isn't enough of uh well, we might say there isn't uh, enough of a price increase to justify the increased demand or that that price increased because that would be the natural response to having a shortage is you increase the price so that limits how it goes out, that limits the amount of people that are going to buy it. Moreover, it signals that people should enter the productive space. So again, we also, so, but we don't necessarily see that as much with, baby, with, with the baby formula shortages thing, with, with story. But these are two important economic concepts if we want to understand the heart of this issue. Now to elucidate this point a little bit more, this is from 1977. I pulled it from Mises.org originally from 1977 that um, that talks about uh, water shortages. And I think it, the original article was talking about water shortages in California because they were dealing with them in 1977, and they're also they're also dealing with them in 2022. So this is this is just Rothbard writing, and I have two paragraphs here that I thought would be useful to read again to reinforce the idea of scarcity versus versus shortages, natural scarcity versus artificial shortages created under specific market conditions that we'll get into. So note that all goods and services are scarce, as we said before, and the progress of the economy consists in rendering them relatively less scarce so that their prices decline. Of course, some goods can never increase in supply. The supply of Rembrandts, for example, Rembrandt, of course, being a famous painter, is exceedingly scarce and can never be increased, because he's dead, barring the arrival of a perfect forger. Of course, even in a perfect forger, it wouldn't quite be a Rembrandt. The price of Rembrandts is high, of course, but no one has ever complained about a Rembrandt shortage. They have not, because the price of Rembrandts is allowed to fluctuate freely without interference from the iron hand of government. But suppose that the government, in its wisdom, should one day proclaim that no Rembrandts can be sold for less or more than $1,000. Severe maximum price control on the paintings, we can rest assured that, if the decree were taken seriously at all, a severe Rembrandt shortage would promptly develop, accompanied by black markets, bribery, and all the rest of the paraphernalia of price control. Continuing, if the water, and, and he's talking about the water industry here, but it, you'll see why it, how it relates to this baby formula shortage shortage as we move through if the water industry were free and competitive the response to a drought would be very simple water would rise in price there would be gripe griping about the increase in water prices no doubt but there would be no shortage and no need to call for the usual baggage of patriotic hoopla calls for conservation altruistic pleas for sacrifice to the common good and all the rest but of course the water industry is scarcely free on the contrary Water is almost everywhere in the United States, the product and service of governmental monopoly. Now, you might think to yourself, well, hang on, LB. I saw the Secretary of Transportation, even though, by the way, even though I've never seen a Secretary of Transportation really do anything in my life, right? They've never been a prominent feature. But for some reason, in Joe Biden administration's, in Joe Biden's administration, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, is very, very prominent. And you might say, well, hey, LB, I saw him say that we live in a capitalist country, and it was the fault of a lab that got shut down because they couldn't maintain their, uh, their, their, their products and they, they couldn't maintain safety. They were getting people sick. But we live in a capitalist country. The government doesn't make baby formula. Companies do. And, of course, that's true on paper. But when you dig in, but as, they like, as, as people like to say, the devil is in the details. Right, and when you look at the details of any story, you start to see just how entwined corporate large corporate actors and the government are effectively if not the same- they are uh they live in symbiosis right they don't they don't they don't technically live at odds with each other they really live in a form of symbiosis and uh so when I was looking for stories, I actually found. This really I found a really, really good one from, as you might imagine, Zero Hedge, which if you don't, if you don't go to Zero Hedge, you can I would I would recommend having that in your daily digest, or of course, you know, right after Binawake.com. So this the headline for this story is Big Bottle Breaking Down the Baby Formula Nightmare. And this is authored by a guy, Matt Stoller, via I think it's B I G or it's big. He has his own substack just like uh, just like Binawake.com. So it's um it's actually it's a really good article and I'm just gonna kind of read we're gonna read through the article together here and we're gonna talk about it and it's gonna he's gonna get into the nitty gritty. So today he says he's writing about the nightmarish baby formula shortage. He's gonna try to explain what the problem is and how to fix it. Um, and then he's got a couple other stories I think at the bottom. So as anyone with an infant knows, there is a major crisis in the feeding of America's babies right now because parents in some areas can't get baby formula. A few months ago, a major producer of formula, Abbott Labs, shut down its main production facilities in Sturgis, Michigan, which had been contaminated with the bacteria Cronobacter sakazaki, I think, killing two babies and injuring two others. And how sad that must have been. Abbott provides 43% of the baby formula in the United States under the brand names um, Similac, Alimentum uh, and EliCare. So removing this amount of supply from the market is the short term cause of the shortages in specific locations. Sorry, I'm trying to zoom in here. So, so, but here we see right after, we see right Alright. So here we see the problem right away. So the per, So, <coughs> what does it say here? 43% of the baby formula in the United States is provided really by one company. And if you've never done this dive, this is very common for pretty much any major product that you buy, right? Most major, pro- a lot of major products are owned by some kind of a parent company. So we might look at the Beats company, which Apple bought a few years ago, right? So you can still buy Beats branded product, but the money eventually flows to Apple. So too, we see with a company like Abbott, Abbott is one of the largest medical uh, med- like medical device companies, medical uh prov- me- like medical device and medical production companies across the world and so they actually produce they have a large market share 43 percent that 43 percent coming out of one factory holy cow right all right so that but you might say that's 50 percent. so what, what, is, what does the rest of the market look like continuing on in the piece is abbott and mead johnson produce 80 80- uh, Abbott and Mead Johnson produce 80 percent of the formula in the United States, and if you add a Nestle, you get to ninety eight percent of that market. So three companies represent ninety eight percent of the market in, uh, in 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 the product of baby formula. Only three, despite it being such a popular product that we're experiencing massive shortages from the shutdown of one plant. First. This is reading from the piece. It's hard to convey what a nightmare this situation is for parents, especially those whose children require special kinds of formula because of gastrointestinal issues or food allergies. The shortage has led us to decide to put a feeding tube in our child, said one parent, who simply could not get the specialized formula her daughter needs. Baby formula is not just food, but the primary or sole nutrition for a vulnerable person in a stage of life in which very specific nutritional requirements are necessary for growth. Baby formula was created in the 19th century as we developed modern food preservation techniques. Before this remarkable innovation, baby starvation was common if a mother couldn't breastfeed her infant. The invention of industrialized formula was one of those creations we take for granted, but like antibiotics and other medical and scientific advances, it was one that fundamentally changed parenthood and the family. This shortage is showing just how reliant we are on industrialized formula. The causal factor behind the crisis is poor regulation and a consolidated and brittle supply chain. Well, and and I would say personally, maybe editorializing on this piece, poor regulation is just another word for overregulation, right? Because as we're gonna, as you're going to see as we move into, like a large reason why there aren't more people in the baby in the baby formula game, despite it being something that a lot of people use, is because of the regulation in place. So the author says he spent a bit of time calling around to people who work in formula industry, and he says it's like a war footing. Everyone is panicking because the situation is, in short, a nightmare. Now, the most important part of this article is where he follows the money. And specifically, since we're going to look at we're looking at this in first in economic terms, right? This is a really this is this is where the meat is. The simplest way to understand why there's a shortage is to look at the incentives for the CEO of Abbott Labs. Here's a Reuters report coming out of the company's investor call in April after the factory shutdown was underway. Keep in mind the executives on this call are the people responsible for managing the vi- this vital resource of baby formula. And here's how seriously they took the problem. Abbott on this call called the recall a short-term hindrance and said it was working closely with the regulator and has begun implementing corrective actions and enhancements to the facilities. However, Abbott's shares rose 2.4% during this time to $122.90 a share in a morning trade, as some analysts said the comments during the conference call allayed worries over the recall. Despite the recall and despite uh, supply chain issues, Abbott beat quarterly profits and revenue estimates in the first quarter. Not a single Wall Street analyst asked about the recall. Why? In some ways, because it doesn't matter to the bottom line of a place like Abbott Labs. Abbott Labs is a diversified medical devices and healthcare company, and its nutritional segment is a relatively small part of its business. But also, if you need baby formula, which is highly regulated by the Food and Drug Administration and distributed by a monopoly-friendly system run by the Department of Agriculture, where else are you going to go? And that's the problem. Baby formula is a shared monopoly. We are, people who need baby formula, are at the mercy of Abbott Labs, Reed Johnson, and Nestle, and their execs know it. So how does this monopoly work? You must start with the regulators. Entering the baby, uh, so he goes on, talks about that Like in Europe there was a company that finally, there was like a new baby, first it's the first firm to come to market in five years. This company, Bobby, in Europe uh, came to be but here in the United States, the FDA has a much has a much tighter stranglehold over who can produce this product. Now, again, they're always cloaked in the same kinds of things, right? It's got it has this is for your children. It has to be safe. It has to be effective. We can't be just putting anything in it, right? You can't you can't just have anybody mix together the uh, you can't just have anybody mix together the individual ingredients. No, it can only be done by certain companies. The, but here's the, but and here's but here's where it gets incestuous, and this is why I talk about this is why I preface this by saying you might look at like because the FDA is the organization that shut them down, right? Ultimately, because they're the they're the they're the uh, authority for better or worse over a lab like Abbott, and the FDA was eventually the organization that shut them down, and so you might think, oh well, see, the FDA is actually at odds with Abbott Lab, eh, but that's not really the case, right? As they say. Um, As they say here, that they had FDA inspectors had been pointing out the problems in this facility and there was no investment done. There was no there was no contingencies put into place, no emergency use authorizations, no emergency use authorizations put into place to allow the production of baby formula. And I don't think we've seen it. I might have missed the story, but I don't think we've even seen anything like that from the administration who says that they want to address this. So that so when you get to be that big enough a company, yeah, the FDA can say something, but it's only until a child dies that anybody bothers to do anything. And the reason why is that Abbott as a company doesn't have the same incentive that the same incentive of a company whose only product would be baby formula. Right. Abbott can make it up on the back end. Right. They're going to fix this and still be a major player in the market. They might have to pay a fine or something like that, maybe have to settle a lawsuit out of court. But they're going to continue existing despite the fact that uh, despite the fact that they created the conditions for economic shortages. Imagine that if you were running a company and one and like they say it's a small point, they don't they don't give it. But let's say it's five percent of the company. Right. But that five percent that and it's only five percent, that five percent controls 40 percent of a market share. You would think that a company would invest more in that. However, at the grand scale, as long as the numbers all add up at the end of the quarter, they're not really incentivized to make the changes that they should. And of course, I'm sure as, I'm sure as time goes on and we dig, we dig more deeply into this, that, that there will be more, uh, more collusion and more than, than, than maybe at first meets the eye. But here's the next part. Here's the next part where we talk about, again, Pete Buttigieg, that we live in a capitalist country. A company makes the, the baby formula. The biggest buyer of infant formula in the united states is the wic or the special supplemental nutrition program for women infants and children which is run by the department of agriculture roughly half of women get formula from wic rather than food stamps which is a set amount of cash that can be used for most products most states only allow women to buy formula from one company though each company offers a bunch of different brands to save money the government requires states to hold auctions to get the lowest price for formula. The problem is, state agencies use a complex rebating system to give their contract for the entire state to one manufacturer, and that contract can only be changed once every four years. Here's the USDA explaining the program. The USDA explaining saying, typically WIC states agency state agencies... Obtain substantial discounts in the form of rebates from infant formula manufacturers for each can of formula purchased through the program. In exchange for rebates, a manufacturer is given the exclusive right to provide its product to the WIC participants in the state. These sole-sourced contracts are awarded on the basis of competitive bids. The brand of formula provided by WIC varies by state depending on which manufacturer holds the contract for that state. So the, rebate dis- the rebate system distorts the entire market in a state because it's just not worth having alternative formulas on a retail shelf if half the buyers simply cannot purchase these formulas. As a result, the market tips to the WIC supplier, and that supplier raises the prices on non-WIC recipients and does so by between 26 and 35%. So in case that wasn't clear... There's a complicated rebate formula, which is usually the pay. So that would be, as far as I understand it here, the government paying the company and then the company gives, kicks back a portion to the government, right? Because you spent all this money with me, so I'm actually going to give you a rebate at the end of the year. This is something that you see at a, (laughs) This is something you see with like in in large in in large corporations a lot. And my personal opinion, and in my experience with dealing with it, is it has a lot more to do with fudging numbers than it does with actually providing a a good value and a good service. And seeing this in such a highly regulated industry just kind of furthers my point. So what they so basically if so going back to the going back to what we said, there's only a few manufacturers. So let's say brands A and B are only legal in a state like Illinois. Well, the problem is brand C really can't really can't invest in distribution in those states, and in fact, the 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 the, the companies themselves that have the product on their store shelves, why are they going to carry brand C when everybody when everybody wants to br- buy brand A and B? And fifty percent of the people purchasing the formula can only buy brands A and B because they're buying through the WIC program. But but as Pete Buttigieg said. We live in a capitalist country where companies make the product. So, the, so he goes on to say this whole scheme done in the guise of welfare is essentially a transfer of wealth from the middle class to the poor, done by enriching the baby formula cartel. The monopoly-friendly program design was peddled by the anti-poverty group, the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, which is both center-left and aligned with Wall Street. This brings us back to the shortage. According to Truthout, Abbott is the monopoly provider of formula for 34 states, seven Indian tribal organizations, four territories, and Washington D.C. So that's where we'd expect the shortages to be focused. Because of the design of the program, it's not particularly easy to move different kinds of formula to WIC recipients. So again, going back to the point, a company like, and you know, just using the ones that they said before, a company, a company like like Nestle. Probably hasn't developed their supply chain for specifically baby formula in these states such that we're seeing the lag times that we have to the point at which we are experiencing massive shortages with empty shelves and people freaking out. See, under normal conditions of business, you'd probably be able to find all sorts of baby formula everywhere. and yes, while you wouldn't be able to find your current your favorite brand, you might be able to find a substitute. and And while that's not ideal, it's certainly better than the families that are now, like they said, you know, the the author of the piece found a family that had to put their child back on a feeding tube. But as Pete Pudoj said, companies make things in America. That's a it's a really long piece. I'll have it linked I'll have it linked in the show notes. Um and again, I think for, for this story in particular, it 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 sparked my interest because I think it really started as as um, as a way for people to contrast against what the Biden administration is doing in uh, in, in Ukraine, sending another 70 billion dollars. Right. So that was that was actually at least when it entered my consciousness. Right. Again, I, I don't have children. I'm not buying baby formula, so I wouldn't know this offhand. As far as the news cycle, it actually entered in as like a, what? But what about this? Well, it turns out it's a pretty it's actually a pretty big problem. And ironically, as I looked into the bottom of it, at least what you can prove is that it's a very simple example of a regulated market, of an overregulated market, relying on, relying on multinational corporations that don't have the proper incentive structure to maintain the quality of their product. It's actually a pretty boring answer to the story. It's astounding, and it's and it's kind of astounding to learn that something like this just operates in broad daylight. Right. You know, I'm somebody I'm somebody who's always looked for these kinds of stories of market overcorrection and market overregulation. And this is a new one to me. So what's again, so what's interesting to me about the story is just how in some respects how banal it is. But of course, the consequences are far dire are are far more dire for the people. I'm not trying to take away from like the hardship that people are going through, of course. it's um yeah it's interesting because this this very much became a talking point of the left and it you know and now it's kind of turned into it's a, a, really a story with with its own steam behind it so the next story that we're going to talk about tonight is the mass shooting that occurred in uh buffalo now you know it's I, before i even get into that I Well, no, let's get to the news. I'm trying to do this in a format. So a gunman killed 10 people. I think it was actually 10 injured 13 people last week in a tragedy that had become that has become racially charged due to the shooter's victims and his posted manifesto. Everywhere else, the story reads, you know, racist guy kills kills black people. And in fact, as far as violence is concerned, cross-racial violence is, a, is, is statistically rare, and so therefore, when you do see the case of where the you know, shooter is a different race, you can assume racial motivation. And of course, by all accounts, it seems like, again, this is what we can prove, that the guy had some kind of racial motivation. Where those racial motivations came from are perhaps a far more interesting question that I won't be able to answer in this episode. I've talked about this before on the show and it, you know, it's something, well, like, so we have this term mass shooting, right? And this is like, this is a term that was introduced into the lexicon. I want to say after Ferguson, like after 2014, right? We had this, we had like a classification of mass shooting, where it's like any more than three people shot in uh in like a geographically proximate area, it's considered a mass shooting. And so we actually see a conflation in the news because of this, in the news coverage of uh, between, uh, but between like, you know, gang violence in a city like Chicago, which had, uh, which I'm sure had a mass shooting over this past weekend, it's tragic, but also then these types of shooting, which have a completely different, uh, like psychological profile to the, to the killer and, you know, the guy's a killer. So I always like to start by reminding people like this is a tragedy. Unfortunately, the way we're conditioned, the way we're programmed in, 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 in America in particular is that we always want to rush to the ramparts. We always want to rush to defend our position. In this case, it's usually over some kind of Second Amendment question. We're going to get into that too because it's interesting some of the coverage around that angle in particular. But you know, usually, usually this is a this is uh, gun control is a great wedge issue in the cult of American democracy, and so a lot of the media spin is about defending one side or another. But I always want to start by recognizing the tragedy that actually occurred, right? That you know people died, and that's bad. I don't like seeing. I don't like seeing that stuff happen. The second bullet point I have here is is a, is a, I've written about this a couple of times, but it's why I don't. It's just why I don't deal in conspiracies. Now, this is I'm not trying to discredit anybody by this statement. This is just my personal my personal uh, policy, right? So, in the practice of skepticism, we're actually allowed we're actually allowed in the practice of skepticism a wide ra- a wide range of possible of, of possibilities for a, a particular news story or anything that we see that happens. Especially when we don't have all the information. As we don't have all the information in uh in uh as we as we often don't have all the information for a story that just happened, such as this. So so you can so I, I think it's entirely possible to hold a wide range of possibilities. But when I say I don't deal in conspiracies, the reason being as we're going to kind of get into it, don't defend the straw man at the end of this episode. I don't deal in conspiracies because at the end of the day, what you can, if you can't prove it, right. And, and I would, I would personally put like specifically conspiracies and things you can't prove, right. Like there are things that you can, there are, there are things that you can like prove to greater, greater or lesser degrees of certain, certainty. Right. And there's an interpretation of facts that can occur depending on what expertise you bring to a situation. But, the, but in general, I try not like I, I, I bemoan the term conspiracy theorist. I don't think it applies to what I do, and I don't see why people would adopt that as their identity. Again, I think you're defending the straw man if you do something like that. Uh, now shout out uh, Carlos in the chat. Uh, if you want an answer to that question, I don't know. I think somebody's gonna I think people are gonna have to pay me for that. <laughs> but I, and that's not my uh, that's not my area of expertise either. I don't know who killed JFK, but I was told that the reason why cubans aren't democrats is because jfk uh turned his back on the cubans during the bay of pigs which is interesting because in in retrospect and certainly as i view geopolitics it was probably one of the better things jfk ever did and cubans were just caught in the crossfire and uh, as i've as i've said as i've shared with a friend recently ukrainians would do well to uh learn from that uh l- learn from that uh that you know what we did to the kurds and a bunch of other people different people so Anyway, so I so that's why I I, again why I don't deal in conspiracies is is a mindset. It's a frame of mind that I put myself in when I'm trying to analyze stories for the broader, especially for my audience and for an audience. So we're not gonna. So while there are questions, you might say, we're gonna stick with we're gonna stick with what we can prove. And moreover, I'm gonna stick with media narratives because that's I think what I'm really good at analyzing. Um, And I think more more important. (laughs) The sad part is more important than. where the killer came from, what his actual motivations are, and the actual more important from a political standpoint isn't isn't actually the killer and what he did, it's what people can do with that in the in the aftermath of his of his uh, killing spree. That's that's the sad part, really, is that nobody, despite despite you know virtue signaling, despite the fact and. You know, even I said I started. I started by calling this a tragedy, but really, what we're going to analyze here are the media narratives. I'm not just going to talk about the fact it was a tragedy all the time. So you could call me, uh, you could call me a, a guilty just as much on this if you want. But the point is, this really the story is about what is, is in many respects just as much about the media reaction to it as it is about the facts of the case itself. So, oh, and so, and to kind of. And to kind of prove that, I have, uh, have a little video here, which hopefully plays. Um, swipe, there we go. Looks, there's a new thing to twist to it here, the explicit expression that we are fearful of genetically disappearing, uh, right? We know that in, what, 20 some odd years, white people will no longer be the statistical ma- majority in this country. And when you tie it all together, white replacement theory, anti-CRT argument, uh, the the insistence that abortion uh, be banned and that white babies in particular be born. This is all of a larger piece. And that larger piece is the fear of whiteness disappearing in the face of a worldwide global expansion of people of color. And right here in this nation, we will not be replaced by Jews, by blacks, by Latinos and others. That's part of the tragedy that has to constantly be dealt with and seen as a through line from white supremacy beginning before 1619 on down to today. So in case you were confused, this is all about white supremacy. This is all about racism. Now again, by by all accounts, there was clearly a racial component to this killing. But here on this show, we understand and if you don't leave with anything else from the show leave with this is the proper understanding and definition of racism. Racism is the oldest and most persistent method of social control in America. Doesn't matter which way that racism goes. The racism directed towards blacks and other minority groups for most of human history and as we are seeing more and more what we might call racism directed towards whites. I don't really I still don't really know. I mean I I know what people say that is but I I still frankly I, I I still frankly get annoyed by the categorizations if I'm being completely honest but that was Michael Eric Dyson I believe he was at one point a reverend so it's always interesting when reverends are calling for the slaughtering of children I believe at one point in time he was a reverend he was actually the guy who uh, who debated what's his face Jordan Peterson and uh, in that uh, monk series right that they had a few years ago where they were trying to talk about uh, I don't even remember because it never went anywhere because somebody like Michael Eric Dyson isn't really interested in having a debate or or having an open exchange of ideas, right? He's an ideologue. And by all accounts he's been successful because of it. But what you hear that what you hear in that clip and what we're going to kind of get into as we read a couple more stories is this is the is the constant theme and this is where things if I'm being honest get a little convenient. Right? Because allegedly, this killer wrote a 250-page manifesto where he talked about the great white replacement theory, which is, I don't know, apparently it's a thing, right? And, and by mean apparently it's a thing, I mean to say anybody who studies demographic trends can look at, the, can look at something like that and see and, and make the same or different conclusions. But apparently, as we're going to get into from this piece I have here from Fox News and from NBC News from their from their news division very important to remember as we read through that Tucker Carlson is under fresh scrutiny after the Buffalo mass shooting cool. so this so we'll read through this piece because it gets through some of the facts that that I want to that I want to draw out Fox News personality Tucker Carlson and this is by Daniel Arkin Fox News personality Tucker Carlson is facing intense scrutiny from extremism experts that's a that's a great could you imagine being an extremism expert must be a cushy gig i'm a kind of an extremism expert if you think about it why didn't they call me for a quote media watchdogs and progressive activists no oxford comma who say there is a link between the top rated hosts quote great replacement rhetoric and the apparent mindset of the suspects in the weekend's deadly rampage in buffalo new york now Facts of the case, as far as I understand it, this guy came out and called himself as a left, called himself a leftist. Wouldn't be watching Tuck, Tucker Carlson because he's 18 years old, so he's clearly a mentally disturbed person. That's another reason why you don't have to always deal. You don't have to wade into the nitty gritty, and, and why I always want to start from the standpoint of a tragedy is clearly somebody who goes out and and kills people in broad daylight is not well. I think again, that's kind of like a. I feel like that's kind of fair to say. Like, that person's not well. And clearly, if it's somebody 18 years old, given what we know about the human body, that, that certainly this person is under some kind of influence. By the way, if we're going to make like little predictions, you know, maybe some of that influence were, will turn out to be federal agents. Wouldn't be the first time. Wouldn't be the first time that they make the monster that eventually preys on the population. It's a very, it happens often. Hell, it just happened in Michigan, didn't it? that whole plot to to kidnap the governor the whites the, the white suspect accused of killing 10 people and wounding three others saturday at a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood apparently wrote a manifesto espousing the white supremacist the supremacist great replacement conspiracy theory elements of which carlson has pushed on his weeknight show the theory baselessly holds that a cabal of jewish people and democratic elites are plotting to quote replace white americans with people of color through immigration policies, higher birth rates, and other social transformations, the idea circulated on the far right fringes before moving to the mainstream of conservative media. Now, before we continue with this piece, if you're watching this, you can see, and if not, we're going to talk through it. I have three, uh, I have three headlines clipped for this slide in my, you know, as, as I was preparing my show notes for today. The first is the story we're reading now: Fox News's Tucker Carlson under fresh scrutiny after Buffalo mass shooting. The second is frustrated de- the second headline i have is frustrated democrats weigh limited options after buffalo shooting and the third is simply entitled the browning of america and this article the browning of america was written in 2012 on a website called the root and if you don't know the root is a ver- is very popular in black american culture or at least was before it got apparently it was bought out by huffpost i learned that recently listening to hotep jesus but so at least at the time in 2012 they weren't, and so this is this is like news to use, because in 2012 after the census came out, it, it it came it came out and said new census figures showing that white birth that white births are no longer a majority in the United States have implications for the news media as well as for the rest of society. <laughs> yes, we are talking about brown and <laughs> Um. The same figures pegged the, quote, minority population at 37 percent, a far cry from the 12.3 percent counted in newsrooms in the 2012 survey of American Society of News Editors, which included newspapers and online outlets. While the U.S. population of people of while the U.S. population of people of color is rising, the number in newsrooms is sliding down. From 12.7 percent to the previous year so this article kind of goes through and this person kind of talked to different uh different editors and different newspapers blah 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 blah. and he's talking about this major news story which is this is this is how old the story is by the way that's why I, i tried to find something from the past 2012. this is where you got the first demographic indicators that that quote unquote white birth rates were declining and i say again quote unquote because like The way you measure the races can get tricky, especially when you're, especially, you know, if you look historically and what was considered white and what is not considered white and what is today and blah, 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 right. These are, these are, these are imprecise classifications designed by that, designed in that manner, because again, racism is the oldest and most persistent method of social control. And so even when we, so, so even when we're talking about white supremacy, we're still talking about racism. It's still about a method of social control again not to not to say that there aren't these people out there i'm just trying to show what what we what we're going through here is media narrative and i'm showing how this story was covered very openly in 2012 and and it has been in different circles and you see it you saw it even in the clip from Ma- Michael Eric Dyson where he simultaneously admits that the thing is happening while denying while, while pointing out that this is all about how you know again something about i don't know pe- white people being scared uh, uh I, doesn't bother me. So here, this, this, was the part of the, this was the part of the piece that I wanted to read. So these are, just, these are just a bunch of headlines from around the country. So America is going off white, an extremely literate, conservative, African-American needed. Tipping point for California. New census data shows Hispanics will outnumber whites sometime in 2013. Chill, America. A shift in demographics is what we can do. It's from the Washington Post. From Politics 365, minorities take over, in parentheses, some. White people head for the hills. From uh, Earl Afari Hutchinson, America's non-white majority won't remake the GOP anytime soon. soon. The Washington Post census. Minority babies are now a majority in the United States. Los Angeles Times headline more minority births signal major shifts ahead for Florida. The National Journal census. Minorities constitute 37% of the U.S. population. So on and so forth. This was a very non-controversial right idea to talk about this demographic change in America that's occurring that we're all kind of living through right now and we should expect that to have some sort of a political ramification as a consequence. But see, when it's useful, you forget history and and in fact the media the media doesn't never wants you to remember history. They want you to remember to tune into them. That's the point. Right? That's one of the reasons why I get frustrated with a lot of content creators out there especially content creators in like the podcasting space where you have the benefit of long form. Um, But but that's why I get, that's why I get frustrated with, with, with other content creators is because like you have the opportunity to not buy into these ridiculous narratives. Like, and you should know these things if you're going to be a commentator on public events. So for whatever else the guy, this crazy guy was writing about, Demographic change is a is a completely valid and by and in many respects scientific subject that people can talk about. But when it's convenient, whoops. But when it's convenient, mind you, that's that's the that's the key, yes? When it's convenient, you um when it's convenient, they forget anything that they, they forget anything that they've said about it. Why? Well, because it serves their narrative, right? It serves their agenda, something we talk about a lot. So going back to the NBC News piece about Tucker Carlson and what's and what's something that they can do in the aftermath of a shooting like this? Well, they can go after somebody like Tucker Carlson because he's discussed these types of basic scientific ideas like demographic change and the effect that has on a population on his show. The th- but but the theory of this guy apparently is that a cabal of Jewish people and democratic elites are plotting to replace white Americans with people of color through immigration policies, higher birth rates and other social transformations. Tucker Carlson has made comments that directly reference this con- reference this conspiracy theory on his show. <laughs> Carlson in the chat I'm still waiting for a mass shooter to be an illegal immigrant so Tucker 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 can go off on the invasion. <laughs> well, I think the The thing you run into there is, you know, the reality is uh, an illegal immigrant probably has a lot better things to do and uh, more people to hide from. (laughs) He's probably, you know, got to get up for work in the morning. But, yeah, that would be really funny. Tucker Carlson has made comments that directly reference this conspiracy theory on his show, said Michael Edison Hayden, a spokesman for the Southern Poverty Law Center, Red Flag, an organization that tracks white supremacy, hate groups and extremism. That was probably the extremism expert that he talked that he mentioned at the beginning. Right. How you kind of like fit that all into your article. Quoting the rhetoric, the rhetoric that he espouses finds its origins in white supremacist literature. So not not census data, not the root, not Washington Post and every other major news outlet 20, 10 years ago. No, it's, it's only in these one places. He added that Carlson stopped short of naming Jewish people as the orchestrators of the replacement, instead using more general terms such as the elite. Here's the irony: is if I was in charge of an organization and if I was really concerned with rising anti-Semitism in the United States, I wouldn't be um I wouldn't be jumping at the bit to call everybody in their to call everybody in their neighbor uh, a a potential anti-Semite. Call me crazy. That's just what I think about the situation. I, if, I was, if I was trying to limit the spread of anti-Semitism, I wouldn't be trying to conflate every idea that comes across cable news with anti-Semitism. But I don't think the way a propagandist like this thinks, because the, and, and going back to our definition of racism as a method of social control, that is what's being done. This person doesn't actually care. The person from the Southern Poverty Law Center does not care about the truth. If they did, their website would look far differently and they wouldn't have the corruption scandals that they have. Did they do good work one point at a time? If that makes you sleep better at night, fine, think that. That's but you have to take organizations for what they are today as well. And really, they're purveyors, they're purveyors of smut and hatred at the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they stoke racial tensions on perfect on purpose to profit. And to benefit from the and to benefit from the social control it, it 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 gives them. That that's my assessment at least. But keep so keep that in mind as we read this very serious NBC news piece. In his opening monologue Monday, this is where it gets good, guys, by the way. Carlson decried, and it gets good because again, this is a news piece. As far as I can tell, this is NBC News at the top corner. It does not say, let me make sure they haven't stealth edited. It does not say that this is an opinion piece anywhere here. So this is considered a news piece. This is supposed to be giving it to you straight. In his opening monologue Monday, Carlson decried the horrible, horrifying amount of violence in the United States and then appeared to distance himself from the events in Buffalo. He claimed the suspect's 180-page document was not aligned with the political right or left Describing, describing it as a rambling pistache of slogans and internet memes, as well as the product of a diseased and disorganized mind. Doesn't that sound, isn't it funny that that sounds like sober analysis? Uh, again, is, again, isn't that like the most, most likely thing here? For whatever else, that this person is clearly disturbed, because it clearly is a disturbed person that's going to go out and do something like this. He also accused Democratic politicians of exploiting the gun violence for political gain. The suspect's apparent document does not state that he watched Tucker Carlson tonight, a mainstay of the Fox News lineup since 2016. Fox News did not comment directly on the criticism of Carlson, but a spokeswoman for the network directed NBC News to on-air statements to which the host disavowed political violence. Carlson has repeatedly promoted parts of the replacement theory on his broadcast. In more than 400 episodes, according to an analysis published by the New York Times, Carlson backed the idea that elites want to substitute white voters with immigrants or people from the third world. I. Man, we're. Whatever. Let's finish reading the piece. I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement. If you suggest for the Democratic Party is if you suggest the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots with new people, more obedient voters from the third world, Carlson said of April 2021, for example. So in the course of this news piece, right? The headline, right, about, this is about the fresh scrutiny he's under we're we're talking to extremism experts who are saying that Tucker Carlson basically just doesn't say that Jews are controlling everything even though he thinks they are that's uh, that's not me by the way don't please don't give me another dang strike on this channel i like having a youtube channel cuz it's convenient but but that's not me that's nbc news through the southern poverty law center and yet when they try to find a quote from Tucker Carlson talking about said topic they oh the shooter never mentioned that he did anything like, but they, when they finally tried to chase him down to it it was april of 2021 a news story a year ago over a year ago at this point that's what they and that's how they can find but he's got his fact which is what makes it a news story those are the different parts right Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, a civil rights group, said in a statement Monday that, quote, Buffalo is the latest in a tragic series of mass shootings that have been inspired by the virulently anti-Semitic and racist Great Replacement conspiracy theory. It's devastatingly true that words have consequences. This is why we've long urged Fox News to stop giving Tucker Carlson a platform to promote such vile and dangerous rhetoric, Greenblatt added. It's time Tucker faced consequences for his words. The theory has been cited in several mass shootings since 2018, including the man charged with killing 11 people at a synagogue, the man of Q, uh, in, Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh in 2018, the man accused of killing 23 people inside a Walmart in El Paso, Texas in 2019, and the man who pleaded guilty to murdering one and injuring three at a synagogue in Poway, California in 2019. The renewed scrutiny on Carlson's belief came as Fox News prepared Monday for its annual Upfronts presentation, a television industry event in New York where network executives encourage corporations to purchase advertisements on air. This was like the like when I read this, I I was like, wow. It's like, wow. In recent years, many blue chip corporate advertisers appeared to flee Carlson's show, yet yet many major American brands continue to advertise across Fox News. NBC contacted spokespeople for 14 corporations that reportedly advertise on Fox News, including General Motors and Weight Watchers, and asked if their companies plan to continue advertising on the network following the tragedy in Buffalo. In a statement, General Motors said, We do not advertise on Tucker Carlson or other similar shows that we do advertise on Fox News. When asked if the company plans to continue to advertise on the network, a GM spokesperson pointed NBC News back to the original statement. Weight Watchers does not advertise on Carlson's show. The company's communica- communications office did not reply to a subsequent email asking if they continued. Does that sound like a I know, we all we all know that they're liars, right? But does that sound like an unbiased journalist to you? Or does that sound like an ideological opponent trying to, you know, take taking shots? because that's sure what it sounds like to me. Right? This is this is the new this is the new level in corporate journalism warfare is the removal of sponsors. And by all by all by all accounts, it costs a lot to run a media organization. Especially one that employs so many like Fox News. I don't have a particular love for Fox News by the way. They're one of the they're still part of the cable news system that per, that that kind of like creates these narratives to begin with. Gives people a horrible example of how to approach discussion and discourse, which is and I I say this as somebody who watched a ton of cable news, especially Fox News in his early 20s. And it was commented to me by people in my life of like, hey, dude, like you get a little intense, right? It's not all about you don't you don't got to jump down people's throat. Remember what I said at the beginning, how we're kind of pre-programmed in the aftermath of tragedies like these to go after go after each other? So don't think that there's any love for Fox. I mean, I'll go. I would go on Fox News, and if they gave me a show, I would consider it. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't let me in the studio. But Tucker Carlson's pretty good, all things considered. And moreover, I'm trying again. As I demonstrated here, we can understand this in terms of demographic change. Now, where the replacement aspect comes in. All right. Let's 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 analyze. Let's analyze the claim and I've talked about this in relations to in relation to immigration before. I think it's quite obvious if you look at the map that the US government has a the US government has an incentive for mass immigration. In part because of na, of native demographic trends within America. It's not released, but I actually just Andrew from Popular Liberty and I were actually going through some of these numbers recently. I don't think he's released it yet, but we were looking at it. And so when you're faced when you're faced with a with, with a population that isn't having as many children, right? What what are the what are options are left to you? Well, one thing you can do is you can import labor from other places to help prop up your systems. It doesn't have to be some cabal. This is the natural this is the natural theory of incentive that exists around us that the left pretends doesn't exist. Why? Because they're interested in they're not interested in truth. They're interested in power. And they're interested in having power over you, and guess what? It works. See, so it doesn't because it, because it doesn't really matter the actual voting trends of the people that they bring of the of the immigrant of the migrant classes. Let's say, right? And and the nature of the nature of migration to the United States has changed considerably over the last ten years. We talked a little bit about this how the asylum process has basically been like cannibalized. Uh, over the last, uh, the, the, in conjunction with, in conjunction with the instability in Europe, where they had to, in, where they did the same, where they had the same kind of process that happened as a result of the wars, and and so too with with really Central American migration as we have it today. There's Milton Friedman talked about again. To my, what I'm trying to draw out here is that we don't need some great grand cabal to talk about an idea. We don't have to deal in stupid conspiracies. Like like the crazy person who shot people did. Milton Friedman pointed out in the in his free to choose series how precisely that illegal immigration benefits both the major corporation and the federal government, because it gives the it, and to the to the detriment of the of the migrant workers, to the detriment of people who cross the border illegally. Because, you know, the big corporations get to hire them at a lower wage, don't have to worry about their benefits. They're, you know, in general, they're not they're going to stay in place longer. Right. Because they're because they're trying to build a better future for their for their uh, children and grandchildren or trying to help support family back home. See, the game can be it's it's nobody ever likes to think of themselves as a pawn, even though in most aspects of your life, that's probably what you're closer to right the individual and, and if you think of a pawn as an as an actual person with wants and desires you could see how their incentive structure can be in line with the incentive structure like the us government like the elites in the us government and and by the way like you know th- this is again how they're u- how they're utilizing narrative control to shape a message for their for their people not for not for the people they don't want this isn't about you or i they, these kinds of people don't want you or I paying attention or having any kind of voice in American politics. They don't, they don't give a damn what you look like, right? They, care, they, they worry more that you're not controllable, you know, intellectually speaking. This isn't about... The, 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 it's not a, the, these kinds of stories aren't about whether you or I agree with them. It's about reinforcing the social control they already have over people. And to that effect, I got a little, uh, I don't really know how the sound's working or if it's not, but luckily this microphone moves. But to the effect, this was, um, so the next little clip I'm going to play is, it's kind of like the worst of all worlds because it's a commentary that it's a commentary style that I can't stand on top of a clip from the view. And it's like made for reels. And so it's, it's, it's really just, it's really just awfulness on top of awfulness. But here we go. Republican party being an extremist party and this, the democratic party moving more to the center. But just first things first, who watches the view? Second, are we living in the same universe? The people. Okay. Let's answer his questions because, okay, so this guy apparently works for Daily Caller. I am being a jerk by not remembering his name. I've got the link pulled up here somewhere. Hang on. I always like to give credit where it's due because I will say, after I looked at his profile, he does kind of preface by saying this is the type of content that he does, right? Like he doesn't, he kind of just does these hot take kinds of videos. Um, but there's something about the view, isn't it? Hang on. Let me find this dang clip. It, you know, the problem is his name is the name is like just close enough that if I get it wrong, it's going to sound worse. <laughs> anyway, so this guy's got he's got kind of a bro vibe. I don't mind a bro vibe. I like a good bro vibe. Uh, but he's talking about, you know, like the view. And so in the view, what they're saying is this 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 shooting is actually demonstrating how the Republicans have become so far to the right. and Democrats have stayed so close to the center. And so he asks, who's watching The View? Well, the answer is we, we all are, at least when they do these clips and their audience is mostly housewives as far as I understand it. That was that was his first question. What was the second question? Oh, if we're living in the same reality and the answer is no. Second, are we living in the same universe? The people advocating same for universe, puberty blockers and transition surgery for kids are moving to the middle. And the people that are like, hey, maybe don't do that those are the extremists not to mention all of the complete and utter disregard for fiscal responsibility and massive government expansion that's a whole nother extreme issue and third and i can't emphasize this enough who watches the view i mean i guess maybe if you're like at the dentist office and you left your phone in your i don't even want to watch the rest of the 40 second clip so like so here's why again i get it i understand that this kind of content has a place but Here's why I hate this kind of content. I hate it because it's 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 more about reinforcing uh it's more about reinforcing negative emotion than it is about providing context to to viewers, right? And and that's really what it comes down to. You know, I can understand like, you know, I tried to I tried to preface each of the articles that I did today with a little bit of a news to it. I tried to keep it a little on the dispassionate side. I enjoy trying to write a little like headline like that. But, you know, but I under, but obviously there's been opinion that we've talked about throughout. So what the guy tries to make the case for in the video is, what do you mean these guys are getting more extreme? But of course, and maybe, and and hopefully, hey, if you're listening to this, this is the answer to why. Because it's not about you. It's not about your perspective as as a non-left winger. They don't care about the right half of this country at all. They care about maintaining their social control over the half that they have, over the left half. That's all that they care about at this point, specifically a show like The View, where it's like you kind of tend to have these ridiculous opinions asserted. These are talking points that are either explicitly given to people to talk about or picked up just through our natural mirroring effects, right? So the person that, I, that you listened to talked like this, so I'm going to talk like that. Either way, the effect is the same. Do you see? So to the so so these are talking points that people are given at a place like the view. And if you want to be a content creator in the new space, you may as well recognize that or as far as I'm concerned, you're not doing anybody a service. And I feel like a lot of I feel like I feel it listen. It's awesome how easy the technology is, right? The fact that I can use Restream to basically create professional-grade studios using just my mouse and a little bit of prep work beforehand, that I have a professional-grade microphone and professional recording equipment that's auto-leveling for me right now, so I have to do minimal editing. I absolutely love it. But of course, that also means that anybody can grab a microphone and pretend like they have something to say. And so there's just a particular style, like this particular style of content creation, like the poppiness, it, it bugs me. And it bugs me because it's, um, it bugs me because it, because there is still a way to do this video and not have it be so, the left are hypocrites, which is basically just the, that's basically reinforcing the cult of American democracy. And that, par- it's really that paradigm that I try to break in the context of this show. That, by the way, brings us to the last segment that I wanted to talk about on the show today, kind of like the, some closing thoughts, which is don't defend the straw man. And what do I mean by that? So if in, in logic, right, in rhetoric, there is a concept called a straw man. You, you, you can straw man somebody's position. When you straw man somebody's position, you create an artificial argument that has no bearing on their actual position, and then you attack that position. It's very commonly done in political rhetoric especially, but it's technically speaking a logical fallacy. It's a logical fallacy, but it's again, it's highly, highly useful because there's enough ambiguity in, in language to where it's almost always able to be done, especially in politics where the moral edge goes to the side that you already agree with. But again, we're talking about, this, we're talking about reinforcement and we're talking about social control. What happens when a particular set of ideas has has power, right, and has more power, more authority, more reach, more pervasiveness within a society, it is more often than not that even people who disagree with that strategy, disagree with those sets of ideas, will still adopt them. Once upon a time, I had another project, and the first rule that I wrote, or the guidepost that I wrote, because I was worried about writing rules for other people. That was, well, because I was in my mid-20s. <laughs> but what I, th- what I said was you don't grant moral supremacy at the time. I, I, I phrased it as to collectivist schools of thought. But you don't, you don't grant them. If you grant moral supremacy to your opponent's position, right, it, it, to put it in terms of capitalism and socialism, because that makes it a little bit easier to understand. A lot of people will talk about how, well, it's capitalism in the workplace, but socialism at home. No. Socialism is like massive death and shortages across the board. Is that really the kind of home you want to have for yourself and your children? I don't think so. Right, but but why? But why do people say that? Because they buy into at least a little bit. Well, that socialism works on paper, or that socialism is just sharing, which is like you know a very common topic, talking point. But when you do that, you're actually defending the straw man. So too in my opinion when you adopt the moniker conspiracy theorist. Now, you know, there's a fine line here, right? You you can protest too much, but it's all but it's about for me like I said it's about a mindset question of how I present information. But if you adopt the moniker conspiracy theorist, I think in many ways you're also defending the straw man. You're defending the point that your opposition, that the people you disagree with want you to defend because you're easier to, uh, you're, you're easier to take out and dismiss. So, too, with all this great replacement business vis-a-vis white supremacy. See, no, I won't, I won't say that the great... I don't need to buy into whatever the frack this guy was writing about to point out that there's obvious scientific inquiry and, in fact, constitutionally mandated acts that occur that create objective data points that we can interpret vis-a-vis the browning of America. Right? In 2012, after the 2010 census. The idea that by 2040, as Michael Eric Dyson said, that whites won't be the majority. And if that bothers you, well, tell me why, first of all. And, you know, maybe stick away from some of the obvious, maybe stop with the rationalization and start to go with your feelings. But, like, anyway... I'm not trying to. I, the, my point here is that if you buy into the other side's argument about the negative aspects about you, you can start to actually embody some of those ideas and, in fact, become easier to defeat. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think that I, I actually think when we look at a lot of these stories, like when we look at the baby shortage formula, the baby formula shortage, when we look at, um, when we look at the we look at the mass shooting, by the way, we're only coming into the beginning of summer. And as I've talked as I talked about on the show last year, summer always sees a rise in violence. It's it's just a truism. It's just a matter of course for um it's just a matter of course for the world. It's that when things heat up, people, people start shooting. And I think and I, I think we're gonna see I, I do think we're gonna see another violent summer because of it. We talked about cracks of foundation. Go go listen to last week's episode if you haven't heard it, because we talked about cracks in the foundation and I tried to bring stories that showed some of those cracks in the foundation. The reality is the United States is going through a major transformation process. Everybody sees it, everybody recognizes it. But that doesn't mean you have to become something that, you know, sucks. You don't have to be a bad person. All you got to do is go to binawake.com, get better sense making, and follow me on social media at the LB Muñiz. If you like what you heard today, go to binawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muñiz, and I am not one with the woke.